0: Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find, only at Total Wine and more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, be 21.
1: Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. On today's episode, we are doing something a little different. The Food 52 Podcast Network is coming out with a new show in the coming weeks, so I wanted to take some time to speak with the host, Harry Sultan. Now that name might sound familiar to you if you've been following this show for a while because Harry helps to produce the Genius Recipe tapes along with all of the other shows in our network. And now he's going to be relaunching Food52's Burnt Toast podcast. As some of you might remember, Burnt Toast was Food52's inaugural podcast years ago. And now Harry will be bringing back new episodes which will feature conversations with members of the Food52 team, food podcast hosts, and other smart people in the wider world of food. Now, I am lucky to get to speak with Harry all the time and appreciate the warmth and the dad jokes that he brings to every interview and every meeting. But with his show on the horizon, it felt like it was time to introduce him to you. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Harry Sultan.
0: Every summer, me and my family would go out to Fire Island where we had... Mm what one could affectionately call a house, no internet, no TV, yes, electricity and running water and all that. But it was very much kind of our way to get away from the city, which notoriously gets very smelly in the hot months.
1: Mm -hmm. The city being New York City. Yeah,
0: sorry, the city being New York City. And that is also kind of where my parents unleashed all of their culinary fury. We cooked in the, you know, in the city apartments throughout the year, but Not nearly as much as we did in the couple nights of, you know, Friday and Saturday night when we were out in Fire Island. That was like really Mm. when we went all out. Whereas at home, it would just kind of be, you know, putting some chicken in the oven and that would be it. But Mm -hmm. when we went out to Fire Island, it was stuffing the uh, chicken full of rosemary and lemon and putting it on the grill with, you know, roasted potatoes and all these amazing things.
1: And like, what else would be the whole meal there?
0: For dinner, there would be, you know, like red potatoes with cumin, uh, always Mm -hmm. a salad with my mom's uh, patented salad dressing, which is pretty much just balsamic vinegar, garlic, and oil, but just, again, with much more salt than you would think humanly possible to consume in a safe (laughs) manner, and and a Pepsi. For lunches, there's a lot of pesto and tuna sandwiches, and then we'd eat leftovers for the rest of the weekend.
1: Was this the kind of thing where you have to take a ferry over and bring everything you want for the weekend in a wagon or were, were there places that you could go shop there?
0: Yeah. So every, every summer we we would start the summer with like one massive shop where we would go to this one store. Uh, it's like one grocery store and just kind of get a summer's worth of pantry supplies. So that's where we would stock up on Milano's and goldfish and, and Nutri-Grain bars. Mm-hmm. And we'd pick up all those. And then every weekend when we went up there, we would pick up the perishable. So We'd get more milk or more cheese or, you know, any meat. So we'd be cooking and park the car, get on a ferry, walk the 20 minutes to our house over the sand, dragging the wagon. Uh, it was a whole to do.
1: Well, it sounds even more ceremonious. Like, I mean, there is a ceremony to going away from your home and shopping near wherever you're staying, picking up things there. But, you know, the the full chicken with the rosemary and the lemon and the the little potatoes and all of that stuff, that all had to be premeditated because you had to pick up everything that you needed for that weekend before you even got off the mainland.
0: It's funny, like, like we definitely knew what we would be eating based on what we had to buy for that weekend. And yet, regardless, every meal, the topic of conversation was what we were going to be having for the next meal. Like, we knew that we were going to be having rosemary chicken for dinner, but at lunch, we would just be talking (laughs) about rosemary chicken and what else we're going to have with the rosemary chicken, even though it was all planned out. What do you think that was? When we were on Fire Island, partially because there was no TV and no, no internet, what else are we doing if not just <laughs> talking about food? That's just kind of the house I grew up in. We were always what we talked about. And whenever we would go on vacations, that was always what we talked Like Food was always, the, the next meal was the most exciting thing.
1: How do you think that affected you and your interest in cooking? Do you feel like it did?
0: The main thing it did just got me into that mindset of in between these next few hours of when I'm cleaning up my dishes from breakfast and when I'm actually ready to sit down from lunch, my entire focus is on what I'm going to be having on that plate. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very much ingrained in me in a very early age. One of one of my favorite periods of life was I was living at, uh, at my dad's place and I didn't have a job. I was supposed to be working on this independent project, but motivation was low And I would wake up in the morning and go to the farmer's market, pick up some food for, you know, a very nice breakfast for myself. And then I would cook the breakfast, eat the breakfast in front of the TV, watching an episode of something. By the time I was done cleaning all the pots and pans from like whatever crazy egg and hash dish that I made, I realized, oh, it's probably time for me to go and buy things for lunch. So I went out, bought things for lunch, (laughs) made this very big elaborate lunch for myself, watched uh, an episode of something while I ate it. And then finished that up, cleaned all the dishes. And I said, oh, it's, it's around time for me to start getting ready for dinner. And so I got into, just very much got into this routine for like a couple weeks on end. I did nothing except for cook and clean and eat hmm. for days on end. And I think it was, it was, you know, not to blame everything on my parents, but <laughs> I think part of it was just this idea that there is more to eat and more food to try. And, and that's kind of always where my head is at.
1: Do you feel like you came away with either like new things that you learned about cooking or ingredients from that week or just really strong memories from it? It seems like it would be a very peak time the way you're describing it.
0: What I learned is just that's kind of my happy place is just mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm busy at work, I you know, it, you, you feel it and it, it's stressful and there are deadlines and alarm bells going off. When I'm busy in the kitchen because I have a a timer going on one thing and I am waiting for something else to thaw out because I need to get in the oven before this other thing, that type of stress is weirdly relaxing. I just kind of learned that the reason why I kept on coming back to cook these elaborate meals was because I, I enjoyed the process of making things as much as I enjoyed the process of consuming them.
1: Did you ever consider working in restaurants as a career?
0: I don't know like at that time what... Experience I had or like what representations of kitchen cooking I'd seen in TV or movies, which I guess, you know, is pretty much the only representation I would have or the only way I would have gotten a glimpse into what it's like behind a kitchen. But I knew even then it is a crazy world in there. And I think Mm -hmm. knowing myself and knowing how I handle stress, adding like actual work pressure to the enjoyment and this already high stress environment of me cooking in my own kitchen would uh, break me. So that was not what you were going for, but you did end
1: up going to culinary school. What was the motivation there? What were you hoping to get out of it?
0: So during the pandemic, I, like everybody else, found themselves with a sourdough starter. Mm -hmm. I had this free time that I wasn't using to commute to work anymore. and I've decided to fill it with exploring food in new ways. And there was that. And then also throughout that time, I think I just kind of not discovered, but was turned on to a lot of food media, America's Test Kitchen food and Food 52, of course, and Bon Appetit. Like all these places had such great videos and articles and recipes just because I was so focused on work and all these other things prior to the pandemic. I just never really felt like I had time to look at before. Mm-hmm. And once I kind of really started looking at these and watching them and listening to them, I just thought that there is so much good content out there that is around the world of food which i am now kind of have this growing passion for maybe i it's time for me to kind of try combining my two my two passions and my my, my work which at that point was a podcast producer but focused solely on geek entertainment so following mm-hmm. mar, like mar the marvel movies and video game releases things like that um, and maybe pivoting towards something that I could find a little bit more of myself in, uh, like the culinary arts. Hey,
1: it's Kristen. We will be back in a moment with more from Harry Sultan. And we're back with Harry Sultan. When did you end up enrolling in culinary school?
0: So I enrolled in culinary school in November of 2020. So mm-hmm. uh, end of the first end of the first year of the pandemic. Um, I finished it sort of at the end of the su- of, of the following summer. So at the end of 2021. How has that impacted your cooking at home? Uh, as anyone who has cooked in a kitchen with me since then, it's made me unbearable. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't let other people cook with me, uh, which mm-hmm. I think which I think is fairly common for people who have cooked professionally. Not that I really have. I've, uh, I've worked in a couple of kitchens for a very little bit of time because like I, I have a way of doing things. And if I see somebody cutting an onion wrong, I'm going to take it away from them, do it better. <laughs> But I feel like in my kitchen, I, I try to kind of elevate everything, uh, which is, you know, not good or bad. It definitely also kind of taught me just how to kind of expand my my palate and the types of things I would make and how I would kind of organize things. I think I work in a much a much more efficient way than I did before, which makes cooking a lot, at least for, for me, a lot more enjoyable to the idea that I don't end the night, even even if I'm not doing like a one pot meal. If in the process of of cooking everything, I go through a thousand bowls by the end of the night, only like three of them will still be in the, in the sink waiting to be cleaned because I've gotten into this rhythm of chopping the onions while something else is sauteing. And then I clean this bowl while those are waiting. And, you know, I kind of feel like I have 18 arms doing different things at a different point of time. And I think a lot of that is because of all the different processes they have to get used to in that kind of kitchen environment. What was
1: a meal that you made recently that you were especially proud of?
0: Yeah, I think um, I, I had a couple friends coming over who really like pork chops. And I really don't think I'd ever had a pork chop before in my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up kosher, but I definitely grew up aware of the fact that the, most of my family did not eat pork. And so just kind of always avoided it with the exception of bacon because I am only human. <laughs> but for, for them, I decided to, to try to make some pork chops. And so I brined the pork chop with very salty water, with some cinnamon sticks and star anise and uh, a bunch of orange slices and some grapefruit. I brined four of them, took one of them out earlier in the day before they arrived, cooked it on the cast iron pan so I could start making a pan sauce, and then grilled the rest of them at like on the grill open fire. And it was the most moist and delicious and just like perfectly seasoned thing, I am forever a convert. It is like my favorite, my favorite thing.
1: I mean, if you haven't grown up around pork chops, then you may not know that like the, the sadness of a very, very dry pork chop, which is pretty common. It's really easy to overcook a pork chop. So it sounds like you hit the jackpot there.
0: No, no one was more surprised than I was.
1: (laughs) Well, it sounds like you put the thought into it of like, the brine is going to make it both delicious and well-seasoned, but also juicier and protective from overcooking. And like all these things that you built in came from like the, all the tricks you've been otherwise studying and practicing for all this time.
0: I am a brine evangelist. I, I, love, <laughs> I love brining anything that I can. I find my comfort zone in cooking and the things that take a long time. Hmm. So things that involve brining, things that involve curing, any sort of pickling or fermenting Those are like my sweet spots. So if you're telling me that I can get a piece of meat and work with it for three days before I actually eat it, that's that's the recipe that I'm going with. Why do you think that is? I think partially because I'm lazy. Okay. Um, Because the the idea that if I'm making pork chop on Friday night and I'm not going to do anything to prep it, that I need to go get that pork chop that day. And I need to like do all the grocery shopping. I need to do everything like all the prep work and then clean my house for my guests to come over and then do all these things and then cook it. It's too much to do. It's just crazy. Who has the time for that? Mm-hmm. But if you're telling me that I can on a Tuesday afternoon when I have some time, I can go get one ingredient and that's the pork chops. And then all I have to do is put it in some water with some spices and some salt and then just let it sit. And then throughout the week, I can just do this and that and the other. And then Friday night, then cook it. That sounds a lot easier to me. Mm -hmm. Even though there are more steps, it is more spaced out. So you don't have this just kind of rush of things to do when you're prepping for, for dinner.
1: And because you're already someone who thinks about the next meal while the last meal is still happening, and there's this constant cycle of like future food, what am I going to eat next? It sounds like you're in a good position to think about the dinner party you're throwing on Friday.
0: Totally. Once I start working on, on a future meal, it becomes my baby. Mm-hmm. I am <laughs> constantly going over to my fridge and opening it up and just kind of like giving anybody who will listen a tour of everything that's going on right now. Really? This is the pork that I, that I have going for, for tomorrow night. Here's some, some curing egg yolks. There's my hot honey. I'll like just, I have everything in just these weird deli containers and I'll take them out and just have tasting spoons for people. That's the thing I'm most proud of when, when my fridge is full, there's still only like three things you can actually eat because everything is just for later.
1: (laughs) This is so fascinating because I feel like I have cut, 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 cut down to what are the things I can make, you know, literally have on the table in 20 minutes or 30 minutes max. So you're really like opening my mind to like, maybe on Tuesday, I should be thinking about Friday and life could be even easier.
0: It's not like top of mind when I think of how to cook stuff. I'm not thinking about things in the sense of, okay, if I want to get something on the table in 20 minutes, here's all the steps I need to do beforehand in order to do that. It's just sort of falls under my, I want to get stuff started for this meal. Now I'm excited to eat it. Look out for Harry's uh, dinner's ready in 20 minutes plus uh, 17 hours of prep time (laughs) cookbook.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I'll buy it. So we've heard about how you became a podcaster. We have heard about how you became a cook. So how are these coming together now as you're getting ready to relaunch our Burnt Toast podcast at Food 52?
0: Totally. As of uh, January of this year, I've been overseeing the entire network. So, you know, helping to produce this show, Genius Recipe Tapes, along with everything else we have. So Play Me Recipe, Counter Jam, Hotline Offline, everything. And in that process, I've been able to kind of learn so much more about the different hosts that we work with, the different residents that we work with, see all of these changes with Food52 as a website and as a company and as a brand and how it relates to the community around it. So it is kind of perfect place for for a new Food52 podcast to delve into and share some of these stories of the people behind Food 52, the residents that we work with, from bakers to cooks to uh, cocktail mixologists, talking about their stories, not necessarily from the recipe perspective and the recipe development perspective, but who they are and how they work with food. And so part of what we're also doing is utilizing our wonderful market editors to kind of help talk about the different things that are on our website from our shop and say, here are the different tools that we have available to us whether it's a pan or a rolling pin, anything that could be helpful in the kitchen and talking about why this one is special, why this one is worth it to kind of help lift everybody's experience in the kitchen. Because I know I need that type of advice in my life. So what types of stories will you be digging into? So it might be a conversation with Kristen and I, although maybe it'll be me interviewing you. It might be a conversation with, one of our freelance writers who did a a story on the Choco Taco being discontinued. It might be us speaking with one of our residents or one of our video producers, or it could be as simple as me talking to a guest who is on a different one of our podcasts, just in a different light. For folks who've been around for a long
1: time um, following Food52, it's been a community-driven site from the get-go. How do you see that manifesting in your relationship with our audience and community and this show itself as the host.
0: Totally. I mean, I think this podcast, it's been around for a while, What? but we're relaunching it. So just the, the nature of this show existing in its new form is a sign that it is this constantly evolving beast. And I think what that means for us is that we're allowed to and expecting to kind of change it as it goes along. So what I'm hoping for is that Our audience and our fans who are listening to it can come to us with questions about the world of cooking and about the people that we work with and about the articles on our site and show us what they're interested in and show us what they want to learn more about and tell us, you know, what should we be talking about next? And we can kind of shape the show according to what the people that listen to us most want to hear about. I think hearing from the audience is going to be a very big part of how this podcast evolves um, in the weeks and months to come.
1: Thanks for listening, and my thanks to Harry Sultan for agreeing to be on this side of an interview. Be sure to subscribe to Burnt Toast wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on the new episodes coming soon. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory, executive producer Harry Sultan, and with post-production by Crutch Studios. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review. Or just tell a friend who could always use another new food podcast in their life. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.